Hello, this is international football commentator Derek Ray. And make no mistake, this is your source for all things black and gold. Football just wouldn't be football without Berwick Rangers. Stand by for this edition of the Let It BRFC podcast. Well, welcome to the BRC podcast. I'm joined today by Dave Buglis, Berry Rangers Director and Head of Football Operations at Glasgow City. Hi, Dave. How are you? I'm all right, Adam. Thank you very much. Uh, nice and sunny outside, so it's a wee break away for an hour. Good stuff. Um, I saw you put a video out on Facebook over the weekend, um, just with a bit of a, an update around the club. Do you want to talk to us a bit about that? Yeah, I thought it was important because um, the three announcements we made uh, and also leading up to the one on Monday about the Girls and Ladies programme, were pretty major and we didn't want it to get lost. So obviously on Friday we announced that we were launching uh, a community foundation, something that, you know, as long as I lived in the town and even been away, we've never, never had really for the last sort of 35, 40 years. So on Friday we put out that we were setting up the foundation. Uh, we're going to be a charity which is obviously registered in England uh, as opposed to Scotland, which will allow us to access monies and funds from Sport England and the Football Foundation further south. So now we get the benefits of being the only English team that play in Scotland, so we can get money for the first team from the Scottish system and, and then money for the charity and, and uh, the, the community foundation um, you know, in the south. And then obviously we launched on Saturday what was effectively called, I guess, our diversity and inclusion kit, the third shirt, which is on the left-hand uh, arm, we're going to have the foundation, the Better Rangers Foundation on. But also we've been speaking to um, Laura at the Chris Mitchell Foundation, um, and obviously, I guess, because I stay in Pullman and Falkirk, I obviously know the Chris Mitchell story, and obviously it'll be one that's probably quite close to Liam's heart as well. But, um, you know, Chris Mitchell, for me, was probably somebody that um, suffered quite a bit dropping down from full-time football to part-time football. Probably didn't deal with it as well as he, you know, tried to deal with it. And obviously, in the end, it ended up with a very, very sad story. So, Laura, his sister and, her dad, and his dad, Philip, have worked tremendously hard with the foundation. And... For me, I guess, with everything that we've been going through with COVID at the moment, there's going to be a lot of guys and girls who are probably going to struggle maybe to match the income that they've had previously. So I just felt it was the right charity for us as a club and the right time to do something like that. So, um, yeah, myself and another director, Associate Director Graham Gurney, who are both HR guys, we're going to work with Laura and Phil, not just on the club shirt and stuff like that, but you know, try to kind of push that charity forward. So hopefully we've managed to get that across. Yeah, definitely. Um, it seems a busy time around the club. Uh, it would just be good to get back on the pitch, which I'm sure Liam and Joel will probably kind of go on about as we go through the podcast. Now. But, you know, we're starting to get some rays of light. Um, I think yesterday my phone never stopped. We're 147 Glasgow City mums and dads asking if we can go back to training now. Because Nicola Sturgeon said at lunchtime, the 13th of July. So, um, so yeah, fingers crossed we'll start to see that start to happen now. And, you know, maybe kind of a route back is not close. I think even today we're saying maybe possibly some people on grounds as well possibly at the back end of July, so fingers crossed. So, Yeah, well, you've alluded to our, our two guests today. We've got Joel Murray, Hibs captain and academy manager. Hey, Joel, you all right? Yeah, not too bad, Adam. Good stuff. Uh, I also read that you were uh, um, a Berwickshire Lone Bowls champion. I was, yeah. I mean, it, there was a, a tough uh, decision to make when I was younger. Bowls or football, and football just shaded it. Followed the money. And that's it. No money in bowls. A uh, little bit of money in football. <laughs> 
Great stuff. Uh, and we're also joined by Lane Craig, as the creative scene Johnson midfielder and PFA chairman. How are you? Adam, thanks for having me. Looking forward to catching up with Joel and Dave and sharing some stories for since we were young and growing up around about the Berwick area. Excellent. So, Joel, as Liam said, um, you know Liam already. Yeah, yeah, of course. Uh, we come from the same village, Churnside, down in, in Berwickshire, of course, and our paths kind of followed the, the same um, kind of journey from, from a very young age. Um, went to school together, primary school um, and high school. So, so yeah, I've known Liam for a, a number of years and always kept in touch and followed his progress and been delighted with, with, with how he's got on in his career. In terms of playing football, you because of the, the lack of uh, girl sides in the area, you were playing in the same team as Liam at, at times as well, weren't you? Yeah, of course. So when I was growing up, um, there wasn't anything available for for, for girls um, from a football perspective. So for me, all I ever knew at that age was was playing with boys. Um, I think I was um, the only girl, essentially, at that, that age, um, playing with boys. And yeah, it was all I ever know, uh, knew, sorry, um, and absolutely loved it. Um, but yeah, um, there was there was nothing like what you guys are, are doing at, at Berwick Rangers just now. So absolutely delighted to, to see you guys are, are leading the way down there. What what position did you play when you were playing the same team as them? Well, we played five. So started off with, off with fives and then sevens. And of course, sevens, it's kind of a bit all, all over the place. Eh? So, so yeah, I guess I, I, I saw myself as a more attacking player when I was younger. Of course, that's not the case now. Eh? So, yeah, I can't remember specifically, but, yeah, from a fives perspective, all over the place, and then sevens, um, pretty much the same, to be honest. Who was a better player? Liam was always the standout. Liam was always <laughs> the standout. Um, I was always a, in his shadow, but kind of stood out because I was the only girl. But, yeah, um, probably say Liam. He'd probably say the opposite, just to be nice, to be fair. No, listen, I think uh, what Joel touched on there as well, in terms of positions and all the rest of it, I think the, the key thing when we were that age, and sometimes I think it's overlooked now, like when you're playing five-a-sides at under eights and nines and seven-a-side under tens and elevens, it is just about enjoying it. And certainly when I look back at growing up in Churnside and um, you know playing in the five-a-side tournaments at you know gala weeks and civic weeks all over the borders, it was that's why we fell in love with the game because... You know, it didn't matter that Joel was a girl or, or, or whatever. We just loved playing football. And because we came from the same village and everyone played, um, and obviously we were good, um, I think that was you know, known right from the start. Because even when we first went to Coldstream is, at seven aside, I think you know, me and Joel were probably playing three or four years above ourselves. Um, and I think the disappointing thing, you know, just on my point of view, is obviously as you get older, then it separates where the, the, the boys go one way, the girls go the other way, if you like. Uh, maybe for obvious reasons, but certainly I look back on my career, as Joel said, we had similar paths in terms of getting to the top level in um, you know, men and women's football in Scotland. And you see what Joel's done going on to play international football and being part of the World Cup squad. Uh, I think it's just brilliant for you know a village like Chernside to produce two Hibs captains at the same time. Um, and something that the area, I think, should be proud of. And you know, look at the work that Berwick are doing in the last... You know, six months or so since Dave and the rest of the directors went in, um, the biggest thing they've done is reconnected the, the the town with the supporters. And you know, for conversations I've had with Dave and even with Joel and anyone for the area, 
that we grew up, I think that's been a, a major part that's been missing. So I think now that we've done that and they're, they're starting to include these girl programmes and yeah, having a proper structure behind it, you know, I can always see the club going strength to strength now. For yourself, Joel, you were a Hibs fan from the age of five. Yeah, that's correct. Um, always been a Hibs fan from a sin, some might say. Yeah, I remember a story about uh, your brother in a pie. Aye, uh, he's probably never lived that one down, to be fair. Um, it was, I think, one of his first outings at Easter Road. I'd been going with my dad for a number of years, and my dad reluctantly brought Richard along um, this day. And all first half, he was he was here, he was there. He wasn't, he was everywhere but the pitch. So my dad was a bit frustrated, and he he wanted a, a pie at half time. So off my dad went, and of course they came back and. The seats in most stadiums um, are obviously the flip seats. So my dad had queued for for quite some time um, with Richard, came back and he he put his seat down, put the pie on the seat, kind of stood up to to have a look around and adjust himself. And of course, the the pie flew a few rows back. So I think for my dad, that just topped that that day off. And uh, certainly my (laughs) brother was never back at Easter Road. Um, but yeah, he's never left that one down, and my, and my dad and myself have, have never let him. I, I tell that story quite frequently, so so yeah. Did it hit anyone? I can't remember. What a waste of pie! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when you first went, what what was what did that Hibs team look like, Joel? Who, um, who for you? Yeah, it was probably your your dad and Jackson's, um, your Latipes. Obviously, he was a character on and off the pitch. What what a player he was, um, and then obviously your Sauzies and stuff. So, so absolutely legends from a club perspective, um, and probably through an era that I'm quite fortunate to have kind of lived through and went to the games as such with my dads because what what a team Hibs had. Um, your Pat McGinley's, your your players that probably now are, are overlooked but but back then they were major major players for for the club and yeah players that I, I really looked up to and, and I guess even going to Easter Road at that time to what you can see now for me one of the finest stadiums in Scotland yeah of course obviously you had the and the famous Easter Road slope and obviously from a nostalgic point of view it was sad to see those both go. Um, however, from a, a growth and a development perspective, it's it's fantastic to see the infrastructure there um, now because it allows twenty thousand fans um, to to be in there on on any given match day. So, what an infrastructure and, and what a growth and development from from those days um, all 15, 16, 17 years ago. Yeah, I think I read this week that Murray Fields have had up the stadium um, for both Hibs and Hearts um, to try and deal with coronavirus. What would your thoughts be on that? Um, I think from a football perspective, obviously, I'm assuming that would be before fans potentially might be allowed in or after. Try and account for social distancing. I think it'd be great because you'd get the football, you'd get the fans back in, but in a stadium as big as Murrayfield and a fan base that Hibs have, I think you'd probably lose the, the atmosphere. But at the moment, fans are choking to get back in the games. So I think they'd 100% take a Murrayfield over a, a, an empty Easter road. Yeah. You signed for Hibs yourself. Um, how did that move come about? Um, so, yes, yeah, as, as Liam uh, alluded to, so I, I think back then I could only play with um, the boys up until I was about 13 or 14. Um, then I had to transition into to girls football so 
there was nothing, as I said, down in the borders. Um, so I think my dad saw an advert in the, the evening news um, about trials for Hibs up at Meadow Bank, and away he, he took me up one Saturday, and then it's it's been ever since then really. And um, that first trial, as such, then went into um, me playing for the under 17s, and then transitioning into the first teams. So yeah, it was uh, all from uh, an advert in the paper really. Did I say that you been you turned up to the wrong one and? you ended up training with the first team um, rather than the juniors. <laughs> yeah, so I ended up, I don't know if it was me or my dad or there was a mix-up in communication anyway. I, I turned up at St Mark's Park um, and started training and I think I was five, ten minutes in and the coaches were thinking, who's this? And maybe it was one of those they didn't want to say and I didn't want to say and then it transpired that it was the first team. Um, but yeah, I, I, I slotted in and I loved it. Um, and I think I had the the title or the nickname sorry we and for about five six seven years thereafter which I'm obviously glad to, to now get rid of but yeah that 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 was crazy how that came about and just yeah fantastic maybe opportunity for me at that time to to train in that environment within a team that kind of consisted of international players um, and fantastic domestic players so so yeah it was crazy but yeah an opportunity and an uh, experience that I, I loved. Obviously being a, such a big fan of the club, what does that mean to you, um, sort of captaining them now? Um, such a proud moment, um, the first time I was kind of stepped on the pitch for Hibs and then obviously the first time I get my my captain's armband and, and things like that, so growing up um, and making the transition from being at Easter Road with my dad at five years old um, to then playing under 17s, captain and under 17s, transitioning to first team. So it's been a very proud journey for me um, and also my, my family and certainly one I've absolutely loved. What's been your favourite experience within football? Um, Liam will probably um, agree. I think football brings so many transferable life skills. Um, it's not about what happens on the pitch. There's so many social things. I mean, for me, I've met people um, from all over the country within the, the UK and, and abroad and travelled places that I would never ever have travelled without football. So, as I say, it's not just what you do on the pitch. Football's gave me so many different things off the pitch that uh, I'm so thankful for that, and as I said, Liam will probably agree um, with that point. Academy coaching kid last week, but there's so much that people don't see that actually happens. You get judged for 90 minutes on a Saturday, um, whether you're good, bad, or indifferent, um, and you get called everything under the sun some weeks, and you're the best thing ever the next week. Um, but Joel's right in terms of where football can actually take you, and you know we'll touch on it later on, even. You know, I never wanted to be PFA chairman when I was growing up. I never wanted to, um, you know, just so many stuff. I mean, you dreamed about playing at the highest level possible. You dream about winning cups and um, all that sort of stuff. But, no, Joel's right. I think the the social environment it puts you in, um, the networks and uh, people that you come across and meet is incredible and um, how much you actually want to do it. I mean... You know the sacrifices that Joelle would have given up, um, you know, growing up to get to the level she's at, the level she's at now. Because the easy part is getting there. Um, I'm sure we'd both agree. As 16 year old, I said that's the easiest contract you ever sign. 
in terms of achievements, um, you've won an array of honours with HIPS, um, including domestic doubles in 2016, 2017, and 2018. Um, how has that been as an experience? Yeah, the, the cup wins were, were fantastic. Um, we went on a, a great journey with those, actually, and um, that just ended, actually, um, last season, uh, didn't it, Dave? Um, <laughs> So yeah, the cup journey. I wasn't going to say anything about this. <laughs> um, yeah, the cup journeys were incredible, um, especially with the, the group of players that we had. We we seemed to go through a season whereby we build, we develop, we get success, and then we have that transition, and it's that kind of similar cycle year after year. So to be able to retain that that cup success for for a number of years was was absolutely fantastic um, and and yeah I think obviously Glasgow City the Scottish Cup was was taken back off us but the the jewels that we've had over the the last few years have, have been incredible and I think for the the greater good of the game as well not just for for us as individual clubs so I um, absolutely enjoyed being being part of every one of those cup successes. Currently you are involved with the Community Foundation at Hibs um, what duties does that involve? So my title there is Girls and Academy Manager. So it is essentially um, what it says on the tin, um, just overseeing player development, coach development, and just making sure that the players have the resources that they require on and off the pitch. Um, obviously being part of a, a foundation, the charitable arm of the club, there are massive restrictions, one being money. Um, money's not um, there essentially or there as much as I'd like there's so many times I get told no if I ask for kit or various other things but for me it's just making sure the players have all the the necessary resources that I feel will help them develop and continue through that that pathway to to hopefully the, the first team and I think for me what I have as a benefit is I've been there and done that so I can kind of draw up on my own experiences um, and give them what I think, as I say, they, they need as a modern day player. I think I think it's really important, like touching what Joel's saying. I think it doesn't matter if you're in the under nines at Hibs or, or at Bert Rangers, women and girls, it's got to feel and look the same as strutting out at Easter Road or at Shieldfield Park. You've got to feel part of something special. Um, you know, it's equally as important to win the hearts and minds of the kids and the parents. You know, so I've probably had the same arguments with people upstairs where I am, trying to get kit and balls and cones and stuff like that. But when you deliver that, it, it just looks and feels so amazing that, you know, you get that extra boost out of the kids. And, and I guess what Joel's trying to do as well is create not just Hibs stars of the future, but Hibs, Hibs fans of the future, you know, trying to get them in Easter Road to watch the first team, whether that be the men or the women. So, Yeah, and I think what you've mentioned there is massive, Dave. I mean, even... A bit of new training kit. Um, it it's, it means so much to to players these days. And not that you should play or train for kit or anything like that, but it gives them a sense of value as such. Um, so yeah, I think it's so so important that 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 players, whether it be under nines, under seventeens, or nineteens, players have all that resource and kit available to them to allow them to feel valued, respected, and essentially perform at training and on the, the pitch on a, a game day. And you spoke about being there and doing it. Um, 
you have 48 caps for Scotland. What's it been like to represent your country? Yeah, again, it's been great. I mean, for me and Liam will be the same. When you grow up, you kind of have aims, goals and dreams. And I initially just wanted to play football. I never once thought I'd play for Hibs, the team I love and support. I never once thought I'd um, play for my country. So to do all those things is, has been absolutely incredible. Um, and again, such a, a proud moment the first time I was selected for the national team and the first uh, the first cap I received. So, so yeah, it's been an absolutely incredible journey. But as I say, when, when you're younger, um, you dream about these things, but never actually think they're going to come to fruition. So when they did, it was, yeah, it was incredible. Do you want to tell us about the goal? Well, the goal, yeah. So McDermott Park, fantastic stadium, obviously. Um, yeah, the, I think one of the wingers um, drove to the byline. I don't know what I was doing up the pitch. Obviously, I'm a centre-half now, but <laughs> when I was younger, I, I, I tried to play right mid and I found myself uh, at the front post, made a front post run. It was cut back and it was a, an easy tap-in. So, so yeah, uh, one goal for, for Scotland, which, uh, although it was a tap-in, I'm, I'm very proud of. Do they still give you the physical caps? Do yeah. you know from, from playing? Yeah, so if it's a, rec- a UFR fee for recognised game, you get a cap. Um, however, if it's, uh, so for instance, we go to La Manga or, or Cyprus or, or anywhere like that, if it's, if it's like a, a friendly tournament, you, you wouldn't, but for um, any UFR fee for recognised games, you, you do. And they're exactly what, what you see um, on the telly and what you admi- imagined um, them as. So, yeah, you, you get a physical cap, which is quite quite cool and decent to be fair. It is, yeah. It's it's been a long time since I've seen um it on. I know they used to wear them like in the press releases when someone was getting the first cap sort of thing. <laughs> but I haven't seen it sort of recently so I was just interested to see whether that would be the case. Do you where do you store yours? Not that I'm coming around your house or anything, but <laughs> um, so I've I've gave a few away to be honest. I've gave I think every family member's got at least one. Um and my mum's got the rest somewhere in, in the spare room. She she's always asking when I'm I'm coming to get all my, my football stuff, but yeah, can you put her off and put her <laughs> off? I don't know what she's got planned for the spare room, but that's where all my, my caps and tops and different bits and pieces are. We we need to get a, a Dwell Murray top and cap framed for Sheffield Park somewhere within the ground. Yeah, definitely. I'm. Uh, I'd be happy to to donate uh, yeah. one of those. So so yeah, happy to do that. I think you know anyway because I'd spoke to Stuart. We're desperate to get Hibs down as well for a friendly. So mm-hmm. we'd love we'd love to have actually Hibs and Hearts play the SWP game because I think the we took a city team down in um, February, just a 19s team. I think we had over 120 people at the game. You know, watching us play against Pontyland to see just a you know a young girls game, and I do think you would actually get quite a significant crowd if we actually put a match on at the stadium. So yeah, I think so. I mean, we all know what football is like down in the borders; it's ingrained in everyone. So whether it be male, female, under 19s or first team, I think whatever game that that you put on down there, you you know you'll get a crowd. So it'd be fantastic to get a game like that down there, a Hibs Hearts game down. In the in the borders down at Shieldfield Park would be any special for me, uh, especially. I think this box would be full of guests, no doubt, Adam. So all, all the Murrays, and we need to make sure that we put pies on. And obviously, we don't have flips. <laughs> <laughs> My brother's not allowed to come. <laughs> now go back to your 
your uh, experience with Scotland, you won the World Cup in 2019. Um, how much of an impact do you think that World Cup's had on the growth in of the game um, throughout the UK? Throughout the UK, I think, certainly down in England, um, the women's games kicked on massively, not just on the back of the, the World Cup in 2019, but the previous one, it, it just exploded down there. Um, I think we were hopeful that after the World Cup um, last year, there would be a springboard effect and we'd get a better engagement and we'd get more fans at the games. But in my opinion, and I don't know if Dave agrees, that certainly never transpired, which was quite disappointing because when we were over in France and obviously pre-France, um, the game at Hamden, there was a record crowd there um, and there were so many fans out in France, whether it be Tartan Army, friends or family, to see that kind of just drop and dwindle off. When we came home, it was it was quite disappointing. I don't know if you agree, Dave. Um, yeah, I mean, you, you guys probably worked like we did. I think we took, I remember, I've said this on a few podcasts, so maybe I can say it because it's safe for me, but uh, we took 500 to the game at City, uh, mums and dads and kids and aunties and uncles. Um, and we got, I think it was 18,000 on a Tuesday or a Thursday night, can't quite remember the night, but I think on the Saturday it had been the Scottish Cup final. Mm. So the pitch was immaculate. Um, and I would have liked to have seen the stadium cleared on the Saturday night, Sunday morning, and then the car parks should have been full of bands and entertainment. And then I think we probably would have got over 20, 25,000. And I think the one thing that you will get at a women's game is the atmosphere is far more inclusive and family orientated. And it's safer, to use a word. And I just think we could have done something even better for the girls before they went away to France on the Sunday. Because um, you probably alienated a lot of people from the east and up north who probably weren't going to come down. But I d it is disappointing, the marketing for me. I think we feel it a wee bit as well at City. Um, you know, and there was money, I think, set aside from the, the tournament for the national team. I don't think it's been spent yet. I think they're looking at the game, they're strategically, review uh, strategically reviewing it. But I think some of the money should have been put into hiring a, a marketing professional. Um, and we should have been marking it more. And it, and it has gone worryingly a wee bit too quiet for me. So, I mean, the clubs themselves do a lot of amazing work. I mean, I know we've got a, an amazing media team at City. I know Hibs do as well, but it's hard. Um, and we could do probably with a bit more from the top, to be honest. So, And, yeah. and the thing is, and you look at all the communications, you guys are knowing it, the pair of you. Everything that comes, is, that comes out in the last 10, 12 weeks, it's men's game this, men's game that. And, you know, even when they put out the European dates last week about the Champions League and the, Champ uh, the, the Europa League, the Women's Champions League got left off. You yeah. know, so um, there's definitely more that can be done. Yeah, 100% agree. And I think going back to that that game at Hamden, I, I know as players we were, we were very disappointed um, from a marketing perspective because even, I think, the tickets yeah. were just plain white tickets. There was no imagery. There was nothing on the tickets. And... To us as players, it seemed a bit lazy. Um, so although we had that record attendance, 18,000 plus, think what we could have got, as you say, on the back of a, a better kind of marketing campaign um, leading up to the game. And I think that's a problem that the game in Scotland generally has full stop. You know, the, the football in Scotland, men or women's, it's run like, it's, a, it's run as a league, it's run as an administration when it should be run like a product. You know, mm. there's a lot to learn from things like the MLS and stuff like that, you know, the product might not be as good, to, you know, playing-wise, but the way the men's league and the women's league in the States is marketed is phenomenal, so. 
you are the first ever Hibs player uh, to be offered a professional part-time contract. Rangers and Celtic have grown into professional clubs from next season. Um, what are your hopes for the future progression of the game in Scotland? Yeah, for, for me, obviously, I want the game to, the game to grow and continue to grow. Um, but to do that, I think we all need to be at the same level. Um, for me, so, for so long, people have been shouting about teams going professional and part-time professional. And at one point, or for the last few years, it's been kind of Hibs and City. Um, however, I'm just worried and wary that because there's so much money being um, pumped into the game at Rangers and the women's side of things, and and of of course now now Celtic that 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 then flips from a Hibs and a City to a Rangers Celtic and potentially City, and then there's no kind of progression. It it kind of stays the same. So of course I I want the game to grow and and develop and and get stronger and all teams be professional, part-time professional, but I think, in my opinion, that's a long way off, just from a financial kind of perspective alone. Um, there's there's not a lot of money in the game in general in, in Scotland, so never mind the, the women's game. I think the thing that we've learned the most, Joel, since we came back to Berwick in January, is what goes out the door has to come in the door. And, mm-hmm. you know, um, so when you look at a couple of the clubs in Glasgow, not City, who are now putting money into it, Adam, seriously, you wonder where the money's coming from to balance that. I mean, you know, you get to the quarterfinals of the Champions League, which probably we won't do for a long, long time again, and you get 75k. You win the league, I don't think it's, I think it's four figures, Joel, if you win the league in Scotland. So, yeah, you know, what you get in in terms of prize money does not match what you put out in terms of wages and expenditure. You know, so... Um, yeah, we probably spend a bit more than absolutely than Hibs do, but the guys that are coming in now are seriously starting to spend way more than us. So as a concern, it could end up actually ruining it, if I was being honest. I think we've had this conversation at City, and I know Joel has got a number of friends at City, so I think we just need to be mindful, but I just don't think the governing body are strong enough to control it. So we no, just... and I, think, I think you're right there, Dave. I think there should have been some certain parameters put in place. Um, and I don't, I think down south, actually, the English FA had something similar to that, whereby there was maybe a, a cap, a wage cap, or or some kind of criteria and guidelines. But up here, it just seems like anything goes. Um, and as I say, I'm worried that it flips from a Hibs and a City to two other teams. And then you've kind of still got the same, the same thing, just because they're in a, better position financially and it's unfortunate that that younger players these days are maybe their decisions maybe weighed or or clouded by the financial element opposed to what what clubs can actually do and obviously cities got previous for developing players to then go on play international or down south and and so have we so yeah i think young players now um their decisions are, are kind of tainted and predominantly made up from a financial perspective. What would be your advice to a girl who's looking to get into being a, a footballer? Um, if it's a case where she was offered a position um, in one of the academies? Um, I think just weighing up all the pros and cons, um, thinking about where you actually want to be and where you want to go as a footballer and 
remember that a club with the most money doesn't necessarily mean it's the best club. Um, I'm sure Liam's been in the same position. I've been offered um, a few years, teams down south, but for me, although I, I would have had that professional status, I didn't think what they could provide in terms of resource on and off the pitch bettered or matched what I currently had. So um, for me, it's basically just remembering that a club with, with money doesn't necessarily mean it's better than a club that's not offering as much or, or anything at all. But at the end of the day, I think you ultimately need to enjoy what you're doing um, at a young level, enjoy it, play with your friends um, and be at a club that, that has that social environment um, and has that pathway to, to kind of allow players to grow, develop and have that end level. Um, because if you don't have that end level, first team, um, then you question what are you training, playing and making the journey through an academy for. How would you like to be in with a chance of winning £1,000 every month? If that sounds appealing to you, because it sure does to me, you need to join Berwick Rangers Supporters Club's monthly draw. For just £5 per month, you'll go into a draw with hundreds of other Dream Team supporters to win the monthly jackpot. In addition to the £1,000 prize, the Supporters Club will be donating £250 each month to a chosen local charity, with the rest of the profits from the draw going to the football club. For details on how to sign up, visit berwickrangers.com or message the supporters organisation on Facebook, Berwick Rangers Supporters Club, or on Twitter at BRFC Sup Club. Berwick Rangers Supporters Club, supporting your club and your community. Liam, you started with Berwick Juniors. What was that experience like? Really enjoyable time in terms of progression and development and going from 7 aside to 11 aside. It was the right time, I think, at 11 year old. So. Um, played with a lot of good players, played in a good league in the, the northeast of England, and you know what competitive, which was which was huge, and I'm sure they won the league one of the years. Um, and again, Joel touched on it there. Enjoyment's the key thing. You know, I enjoy it as much now as what I enjoyed it. You know, when I was 10, 11 year old, and um, I think the moment you stop enjoying it and stop learning and stop wanting to help other people, it's refreshing to hear what Joel says there in terms of speaking to younger players because. I'm a firm believer that you know you can talk to agents and family, but I think you get the best advice for senior players and, and certainly my whole career. I've been lucky that I've had good pros in a dressing room above me. Um, you know, now me and Joel are, are at that age when you know we've been there and done it, and you know Joel's done it at international level, European level. Um, you can pass that advice on. So, no, I bet it was a great time, a lot of good players, and again, you know, it's for playing with Joel at the park and. You know, other friends have had at the time and playing with the guys at Berwick. You know, if it's not for them, then you know, me and Joel wouldn't be sat here now because you know you do need everyone wearing the team to, to help you progress. And certainly at Berwick, um, you know, we had that, and then I moved on to Hearts off the back of that. What can you remember um, from being around the area at that time? No, it was just the case. Of, you know, obviously Berwick was, and this is what you know frustrates me in the conversation I've had with Dave over the years. You know, Berwick's the biggest club in the area. Um, you know, me and Joel are proof that there's players in the area. Um, I think the disappointing thing over the years is, you know, you even go further into the borders, and you know, you've got people like Stephen McLean, Murray Davidson, Danny Gilbraith for Gala Shields, Dougie Bride, and other guys that, um, and you know, that Berwick team I played in, you know, good, good players, um, but never really had that structure that they, uh, in front of them, if you like, to, to go and play for Berwick's first team. And 
Um, you know, I think the refreshing thing now is that you know the club's getting that in place, and I think you know if you can get a team of uh, players on the pitch at any level that really buy into the the club's belief and what the club's about, um, then you've got you've got a chance of being successful. And certainly, I think with the directors that are in place now at Berwick, you know, you've got that. I think for too long we've relied on players from further afield, and uh, we've not really had the the heart of the club. Um, in the right place and hopefully now they'll have that and they can move forward. So you mentioned about moving to Hearts. How long were you at Hearts? Uh, three, three and a half, four years I was there uh, as a YT, um, up to under 16 level and then um, I loved it there. I you know, played with a lot, of, a lot of good players and you know got to work with under 18s. Uh, getting Friday off school to go and sit on the bench for under 18s was a highlight back in the day. Um, you know, and I thought I genuinely thought I was going to sign there, and then playing with Scotland schoolboys, uh, one day sitting in uh, sitting in class, and Joel remember Mr. Stratton, my guidance teacher. I think it was him that came in, uh, and I thought I was in trouble again. To be fair, but he had a number for me to call. Um, you know, for, I was an Ipswich Town scout. I know that you know um, Dave knows him as well, and uh, if I'd be interested in going down to Ipswich, and um, at this time maybe the. the the relationship I had with some people at Hearts wasn't as strong as it once was and the opportunity to go to Ipswich at you know, 15, 16 year old just to, to see the place and train. Um, you know, at the time I think Rangers was probably the only club in Scotland that had a proper training ground um, in Murray Park. You know, certainly Hearts never. Um, you know, certainly maybe had Barrafield but um, to go down to Ipswich they were just a year out of the Premier League at the time. Uh, the training ground was incredible. Um, the environment as well was key, and I just felt that as a player um, and as a person, to be fair, I just felt for my development going to Ipswich was the right move for me at that time. Um, so I was disappointed to leave Hearts, but excited about having the opportunity to leave home at 16 and, and go on another adventure, if you like. So, do you stay down there full time, did you? I, I moved down a week after I turned 16. Um, I was on the train for Berwick down to Ipswich, and um, as I say, I mean, you talk about character and resilience. I mean, it's 16-year-old to do that away from everything. You talk about sacrifice as well. Um, you've gave up everything there to go and try and make a career in the game. And I just felt at Ipswich, I signed a three-year youth contract and if I never made it, um, I just felt I'd be, a, or might made it into the first team if you like, I'd be a better person and a better footballer off the, off the back yet. And I still, even now, you know, I look back at the ground and I had at Ipswich um, and the way I was looked after. Um, and the way I was coached and you know, I still believe that's why I'm still playing the game 18 years later because of that environment that I worked in at that age. That must have been some train journey from Berwick to Ipswich. Not a simple... Uh, no, listen, uh, the wee change at Peterborough as well uh, to go cross-country and then you realise that Ipswich really is. It's, it's just like a bigger churnside, if you like, away in the sticks and nobody's heard it. Um, there's a reason they're nicknamed the Tractor Boys. But uh, no, like I say, I mean, moving for churnside and... Uh, a place like Ipswich, it was incredible, and um, you know, just the whole environment, the people you are working with. Like, you know, you go for Dan Bent, Marcus Bent, um, you know, Dan Ambrose, boys like that. They're the sort of players you are training with every day, so um, you knew you were going to be a better player if you wanted to listen. I touched on it when I spoke to Dave and the academy coaches last week that um, you know, it's just that environment to improve and. You want to keep improving, and you know one of the disappointments in my career is that I never played in the first team at Ipswich, but certainly got loads of memories. And um, like I say, the the grounding I got there is why I'm still in the game now. I believe. So you've won the youth cup 
with with Ipswich uh, against the Southampton side with some high profile players among some Walcott, Lorna, Bale on the bench. How did you find that experience? You know, these guys have went on to have unbelievable careers. They always say Theo Walcott that got a ten million pound move to Arsenal that summer. And I got a free Falkirk six months later. <laughs> 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 the joys of being a football player, but um, no, I mean, even playing against Walcott, and uh, Walcott was a couple of years younger, but he was what everyone was talking about. I mean, a year after um, signing for Arsenal and a year after that Youth Cup final, he was at the World Cup with England. Um, so it just shows what, what they thought of him down there. Um, obviously, Gareth Bale was still very young, and Adam Lallana, I think, maybe came on, but you had boys like um, Leon Best that went on and played with Newcastle, David McGoldrick still playing with Sheffield United. Um, Andy McNeil that played at Hibs as well in the goals. So, uh, no, they had a really good side. And, um, you know, but again, throughout my career, I think the clubs that I've been at, um, we've had one or two decent individuals, but just the whole, you know, spirit when the, the, the dressing room and togetherness is, is why, um, you know, St Johnston certainly has been successful over the last 10, 12 years. Um, and that's why that Ipswich team is successful because we just. I spoke about moving away at 16-year-old. There was loads of us in that position. There was guys for Ireland and um, all over England, Wales and Scotland that made up that team. And, you know, there was a real togetherness that we were there to, to um, you know, improve as players. And I think for what the club invested in us in terms of, obviously, money, in terms of the facilities we were training in, but the coaching, the training, it was brilliant to give them that youth cup because, it's obviously, it's uh, well-renowned for that age group to win it. Um, you know, there's some big... Big hitters won it in the past, and you see how well that Chelsea uh, young team has done. You know the last five years that they've won it, what they've went on to achieve. So, um, no, I mean at the time we certainly didn't know how well that uh, these players at Southampton would go on and do. Probably apart from Walcott, um, but certainly looking back now, it's uh, it's nice to, to to see the players that you played against, um, and that we won that uh, trophy. And unlike Joel, I've not won much in my career, so I still hold that in quite high regard. <laughs> You mentioned about moving to, to Falkirk um, in 2006. What was the, the motive behind that? Again, I mean, I touched on there. We won the Youth Cup in the, in the May and I was going into my last season with Ipswich. And you get the feeling that after winning the Youth Cup, if you're content, I was obviously captain at the time. Um, you know, Joe Royal was the manager. Uh, and he was honest with me and just says, listen, opportunities of playing in the first team are going to be... Um, Scarce, if you like. So um, I spoke to Alan Fraser, who brought me up, which he was now the scout at Falkirk, um, and said, "Listen, is there anything you can do for me?" And um, when I came back at Christmas time in December, I went up and met um, John Hughes and watched the game. And um, you know, I signed my first professional contract, if you like, at 19 year old with Falkirk. And again, it was just nice after having the three years at Ipswich to go into that. You know, Joel tell you. It's a massive difference going for a youth team dressing room to a first team dressing room. And um, as I said earlier, you know, you've signed that contract at 16. It's probably the easiest one you sign because when you get in the, you know, the first team in professional level, you know, it's everyone's fighting for the same contract. And you've got a 17, 18 year old, you know, competing with 25 to 30 year olds for, for that one contract, if you like. So, um, but playing in the Premier League and, um, you know, I was a Celtic fan when I was younger and, you know, we had a monthly signing. You know, you're standing at the pitch at part, uh, side of the park at Parkhead and, you know, 60,000 at the game under the lights and, you know, I think it was about the 75th minute I came on that night. But as Joel said there, it's just moments that you look back on in your career. You know, when you're growing up, um, you just want to be a footballer, but it's definitely standing arenas like that 
Um, you know, and you're playing against boys like Roy Keane, John Hartz, and Alan Thompson, boys that you know people idolised for years. Um, to come on uh, so early in my Falkirk career, there was that's when I probably started to feel like you know this is what I want for uh, the next 15, 16 years. And um, you know, fortunately, it has been and uh, no one many times at Celtic or Rangers, but when you do, you definitely um, you definitely enjoy it and. Uh, Falkirk was brilliant for me, like I say, playing in the Premier League week in, week out. Um, we're still living there now, that's how you know, big a part the, the, the club had in my career. Uh, my wife Laura still works here, we are met there, so um, no, Falkirk was definitely and, and still is a big part of my life. And um, you know, I was just appreciative of uh, John Hughes at the time, he gave me an opportunity to, to play first team football. And you know, working, Joel touched on it earlier, Russell Lattapy was in the team at the time, and you know, boys like Anthony Stokes. Um, Alan Gow, you know, top top players, um, and you're John Hughes as your manager, so it was uh, it was madness at times, but really enjoyable. And again, you talk about progression and development. I just felt at that time it was the right move for me. What was Stokes like? Uh, there was a couple of stories that Dennis Swanson mentioned. Well, Stokes, Stokes would have only been 17, 18 at the time. Ah, okay. Um, he came on loan for Arsenal because we had a few boys for Arsenal there. But in terms of talent, I mean, he's one of the best that I played with even at that age. I mean. In the Premier League, then he, I remember he scored a hat trick um, against Inverness one Saturday, and then he went away to Dunfermline the week after, which was a derby, and he scored a hat trick again. And you know, I think in six months he was there, he was he scored 13, 14 goals. And um, but John Hughes, the manager at the time, was brilliant in how he managed them because you know you've got people like Russell that have earned the right to um, you know if they're late for training one day you wouldn't say anything, but Stokes had definitely pushed all the buttons, but. To be fair to the manager, he just knew how to coach him because he knew he'd produce on the Saturday. And it was frustrating at times as players, and I'd imagine even more so for senior players. Um, but in terms of on a Saturday, Stokes was was just incredible. And um, you see the career he's went on to have, uh, just how good a player he was. But uh, I remember one game he was late. I'm sure it was for them. It was that Dunfermline game. He was late for the bus. Um, and Yogi, to be fair, maybe 20 minutes or something, we were all waiting on him. And, he gets on the bus and he's oh sorry, sorry, Gaffer. And the gaffer says, Listen, it's fine, just up the back, get ready for the game you're playing. Don't worry about it. Goes out, win three 0 he scores a hat trick, and then after the game, back on the bus and Yogi hit him there like he was getting fined a week's wages or whatever for being late. <laughs> but again, it was just wee things like that that you know John Hughes was brilliant in terms of how he dealt with the players and you know, he'd be sitting in the changing room and where we trained at still and there was no windies in the changing room. So um if the light went off it was pitch black and you know, he'd come in, he'd turn the light off, shut the door. And you knew if that happened, like there would just be boots, shin pads, everything flying everywhere for like 20 seconds. So you just hit the deck and woke nothing hit you. Um, and then he'd turn the lights back on and it was just carnage. There was people upside down and everything in the dressing room. So, um, But he'd do that in under-18s dressing room as well. And it was just him, you know, just building characters, building you know, a few injuries probably along the way. But... Um, it was just brilliant to be part of that dressing room and to play with people like Russell and Stokesy um, was, was brilliant too. John Hughes obviously played at, at Berwick. I'm sure there's a story about him throwing someone through a window. No, but it, it, it wouldn't surprise me. Um, I, 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 yeah, I was walking up the high street that night. <laughs> I, think you were, I think it was the Red Lion, if you remember. Uh, the Red Lion, which was, you went up the, the town through the arch and it was on the left-hand side. And I think Yogi was down with a few of his mates from Leith for a Berwick Rangers night out. And I remember seeing a stool come through the window. And that, that was just the instruction to turn and go another way and go and find another pub type thing. 
but uh, that was that was funny. Obviously, you hear all these stories as well, but in terms of passion and enthusiasm and wanting to play football the right way, in terms of getting it down, passing it, um, you know, he was brilliant. And in terms for the younger players at Falkirk, especially to develop under him, um, don't get me wrong, when you know when you got beat, you, you knew about it, but he definitely wanted it done the right way. And um, again, I loved working under him, and he's someone now that you know do my coaching badges. Um, he was my tutor on the A license as well. Or one of the tutors, so it's great to have people like that that you know you can phone and they'll give you the best advice that I touched on earlier. How's it going with you, coaching? I know you spent some time with the juniors, as you alluded to earlier on, um, but how's that going overall? No, it's good. I think, um, you know, when I left Hibs at 28 and went back to St Johnston, that's when I'd done my B licence and then, you know, I've done my A licence and that now. And, you know, it's great having uh, having the coaching badges and, you know, passing the, the assignments and assessments and stuff. but. I think the biggest thing's actually just been on the park and coaching and learning for your mistakes. And um, just because you have a badge doesn't make you a good coach, and vice versa. If you've not got a badge, it doesn't make you a bad coach. Um, I think you need to be adaptable. And the good thing at St Johnson, the relationship I've got there, and the relationship I had with Tommy Wright, he got me involved with the with the under 16s initially, and then the last couple of years I've been working with the reserve squad as well. And um, what's great about it is, and to be fair to John Hughes, he touched on it when I was at Falkirk, even at 20 year old. He, when you start, and Joel back me up here, when you start doing coaching badges as a player, you realise just how difficult it is to put sessions on and um, how much time and effort actually goes into the sessions. Because as players, we just turn up and, you know, even if you're going in the changing room, your, your kit's hung up, um, you know, you come in after the game, you chuck it in a big pile and just by magic on a Monday morning, it's back hanging on a peg for you, you know what <laughs> I mean? Um, and it's the same in the coaching side. You, you walk out in the training park and, you know, everything's set up, you do the training and, you go in, get changed, and you're away again. But you know, once you start, you've made your decision that you want to get involved in that side. You start asking questions, like even in time, like a possession box. You know, you start asking the question, "What size is the area?" You know, as players, you never think about it. You just there's a possession box. There's twelve bibs, six v six, whatever. But you start asking these questions. So, and you'll get said that it'll make you a better player because you have a better understanding. But I do think there's a time. Um, to do it when you're probably going to be mature enough to do it, and you know, certainly at 28, um, I think that was the right time for me. And I've loved the last four or five years. I've worked a lot with Dave and uh, Zinchenko over the years, and um, I loved doing the the Barrett Rangers stuff uh, a couple of weeks ago with him. And again, it's just taking yourself your comfort zone um, because you know what me and Joel have learned as players. Um, a lot of it is now it's done off the cuff. Um, you know when you're doing training but now when you go into coaching and you try to break sessions down or break drills down it's a lot more difficult because it's stuff that as I say we do every day for the last 18, 19 years so um, no it's, it's been really enjoyable and you know I'll be 34 in December and it's something that I want to get more involved in um, but if you speak to anyone they say you know you want to play as long as you can and I'm delighted that I've got the opportunity to still be playing in the Premier League with St Johnston and uh, I'm looking forward to getting this season started Hey, Joel, are you, is that something you've started? Have you started your badges or is it something you're interested in? Or uh, Yeah, so I've got my B licence. Um, interested in my A, however, because well, it's predominantly aimed and targeted and scheduled in the off-season for the men's game. And of course, at the moment, our season runs the uh, alternative to that. So the A dates have always fell mid-season um, or during season, essentially. So it's definitely something I'm, I'm keen on and been speaking to Greg Patterson at the, the SFA about a bespoke 
course. Um, it's just getting the um, kind of getting the engagement and getting enough people to to run something like that because. I can appreciate it's quite costly, so definitely something I'm, uh, I'm keen on. And I think Liam said it's something that you maybe don't appreciate as a player. You just turn up to training and away you go. But when you've kind of got that experience, when you've got your badges, and then you you kind of uh, dip a little bit into the coaching side of the game, you you overanalyze everything. And uh, a simple as as Liam said, there, simple kind of possession box or Rondo's box as a coach you're then thinking about the distances is the square too big is it too small and things like that so yeah certainly something that that i'm um interested in and keen on is just um as and when i can do it but i think probably a a, a key message for me as a player is or a player at this stage of my career is having an eye on kind of post playing in retirement and for me I, i'm always of the belief that if I've got these things in my toolbox at the moment, it kind of makes that transition from playing into coaching, if that's where I go, very quick um, and, and easy and hopefully smoother. I think, I think as a, so I've got my B as well, but never played to anywhere near the pair of you guys. And I think the highest I got was playing against people like uh, Hagee and Liam's dad and stuff like that and uh, bought at amateur matches for Spittle. But um, I think what you bring different to it is... I'll run a really good session, but I think you would add the dimension of you've probably found yourself in that situation on a pitch. Mm. And actually, I think players can listen to you and you can explain it and probably break it down a little bit more practical than maybe someone who's just decided to be a coach because it's a really good thing to do. So um, I think your experience would be would be invaluable taking sessions. So Again, I just think it comes back to that, you know, advice when you're talking to young players. It could be something, you know, out with football. It could be something... You know, in the changing room, it could be something contractual that you know senior players can help younger players with, and it's the same when you go into coaching. Um, and just because you played at the highest level doesn't uh, doesn't make you, you know, a good coach. I think you know certainly for the coaching um, courses I've been on, you know, and I'm speaking to a couple of players that are on the A license just now. You know, some of the terms that get used now as well, um, it, it's lost on me. You know, and I've been in a dressing room for the best part of 20 years now. Um, and again, that's because the game's always evolving. Um, you know, stuff's always getting changed. And that's why as a coach, you've got to be adaptable to it. So now when, you know, you hear low block, mid block and, and these sort of stuff and you hear six and eight, whereas us, it was always centre mid. You know, I'm wearing number 26. Where did I play? You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> You're talking about a six and an eight. So it is, it's just getting your head around all that stuff now, that which is great. But, um, you know, and I think simplicity is key. Certainly, that's what I've learned on the the coaching side of it as well. Like, um, and again, it's as a coach, it's about creating an environment that the players want to work in. Um, and I touched on it again. I go back to the the session I had with the Berwick coaches. You need the players to buy into it. You know, and why have me and Joel been successful? Because we bought into what the coaches have asked us to do. Um, you know, you could. We we're talking earlier about equipment. Um, you know, you have all the equipment in the world, but if you don't have the right attitude or the right um, management and people skills to deal with that group of players, then you know, you're pissing into the wind with all due respect because they'll not buy into what you want to do. And it is about managing people as much as anything else now and it's getting the best out of each individual. Uh, and that's sometimes with philosophies. It's great when you're winning and you've got the best players in the world, but if you've got four, six foot five centre back or, or defenders at the back that are good at heeding the ball, you're not going to play out for the back. 
you know, so if you get a club and that's what your defence is, your philosophy goes right out the window. Um, because with all due respect, if you go and lose the first three or four games, your philosophy will no matter because you're not being a joke. You know, at the end of the day, it's a, especially at first team level, it's all about results and it's about getting the best out of the players. Ah, you can make them better and you can coach them, but um, you know, if you've not got a chairman that's going to be patient and let you, you know, put your style play on the on the team, then you're not going to be long enough there to you know have a philosophy. Do you, Do you both have an ambition to move into management? I know one of you on here was in management for a couple of weeks at the start of this year, Joel. <laughs> um, yeah, so I obviously, I think there was two or three weeks there that we went through a transitional period whereby Grant left and Dean was appointed. So it definitely gave me an appetite um, into that side of the game, but also made me realise that player coach, for me, I'm someone that if I'm doing something, I'm doing it 100%. And that was a very stressful point in my, my career and, and life because I felt like, I was trying to plan a, a session, deliver a session, but also take part in a session. And I realised that like, was impossible because I was maybe, I was trying to tell the players, pass for your left, pass for your right. And I was doing the opposite because I'm too focused on what, what they're doing. So although it gave me an indication and, and an appetite for it, I knew that a player coach um, role, certainly because I was offered it, certainly wasn't, wasn't for me. Um, at, at this stage in my career, Mr. Mr. Craig. No, obviously it's something. As I've said to you before, when you leave school at 16 year old, you've been full time football ever since. You, you just think it is a natural progression to move into that side of it. Um, again, it's about getting opportunities. Um, and as Joel touched on there, sometimes the opportunities come when you're, you're least expecting them. Um, you know, I'm in a situation now where one of my best mates has just got the St. Johnston job, and you know our relationship goes for you know speaking nearly every day and you know whenever he was back up for Stoke or Millwall when he was assistant down there we'd be going for coffees or a night out you know that totally changes now because there's got to be that you know he's the manager sort of thing and um, you know, I'm half expecting him to hammer me the first day back at pre-season in the morning just to set his stall out for the rest of the squad <laughs> but um, no it's uh, it is something I want to get into but right now it's about learning as much as as, as much as you can um, will I be good at it? I don't know, but I'll not be for a lack of enthusiasm or wanting to do well um, and, and, and working hard. And um, as I say, you know, Joel touched on there just how difficult it is. You know, you talk about doing the coaching badges when you're in charge of a, a full team and you've got a structure of full, not just a full week, probably the next two, three, four, five, six months um, to how you want to play and, and how you're actually going to do it to get results. Um, it's going to be difficult, but you know, we're all involved in football because we want to, we want to do it. We want to test ourselves. We want to keep testing ourselves. Um, that's why in the last year I was back at Napier University, um, you know, doing an applied football management course that the PFA had, had run because that was nothing to do with you know coaching in terms of putting cones out and possession boxes and making sessions. It's more about the um, the whole organisation, how it operates, and um, you know, managing above, managing you know the, the the board, and then managing the players, and then how do you manage the supporters? How do you manage the media? Um, it's just the whole process that you never think about as a player. Um, and even as a coach or a manager, it's not about just a training session. It's how you actually manage the whole operation, which, again, I can only imagine when you're wanting to sign a, sign a player and the chairman's telling you there's no money. Um, it can be difficult at times. So um, it's all stuff that you just want to give yourself every chance to be successful. And as I say, if I'm, 
if I ever get the opportunity to, to go into that side, it'll not be through lack of effort and enthusiasm that, that sort of lets me down. Are you due testimonial at St Johnson? So I'm sure you've been there 10 years. Obviously it was broken for two years and I went to Hibs, but I think this is my 11th season that's coming up now. So um, certainly when I start talking about 11 seasons, you think, geez, oh, I'm getting old. And even Russell Lapp, I think it was his 50th last year. When you start thinking players that you played with are turning 50, that's... <laughs> It's not obviously, um, I think Murray Davidson's got his testimonial this year, so no, it's something if it comes up and spoken about, I'd be I'd be delighted with that, you know, I've, um, the club's had a, been a massive part of my career, obviously, 10 seasons there, and um, I think it's only Stephen Anderson that's played more games for the club than me, I'm two away from 400, so I actually got sent off on the, my last game, and then we played, I was suspended for Livingston, and then it was uh, lockdown, so... I'm currently serving a bigger suspension than Eric Cantona, I think, in terms of he jumped in with <laughs> someone. But uh, I'm two away from 400, so, you know, you get 400 appearances for St Johnston. Again, you talk about being, um, you know, successful and uh, being proud of stuff you achieve. You know, to have 400 games for a club in such a successful period would be uh, something I'd be greatly proud of. See, can I touch on one question? We talked about the move to management and and when it's right and, you know, 100%. A question I was asked on the podcast, it's probably an easier question. Um, I was on a podcast last week. If we had a vacancy at Berwick Rangers and we got a number of candidates in and one of them was uh, female, would we consider that? So ironically, uh, I'd been speaking to somebody in France last year when I was away with a Lero about, you know, the move to management and stuff like that. I guess, question for both of you, Liam, would you manage in the women's game, much like Scott's done, and probably most of the managers in the South, and then likewise, Joel, if the right opportunity came up and you were to be considered, would you be interested in doing that? Um, for me, I, I would. Um, I think, obviously, Shelley's shown that that can happen um, and she can be successful, and you can be successful, sorry. So, for me... Whatever the opportunity, whatever the club, if it was male or female, I wouldn't kind of look at that as a separate opportunity yeah. or something different. I would just take it as a one. And we speak about football, and I like when football's spoken about as a whole and, and not broken down into male and, and female. So I, I certainly would um, consider it um, if the, the club did also. Good. Good, we'll bear that in mind. Liam? Well, you know, I spoke about Calm obviously getting the St Johnson job and, you know, I just think if he's the right person to take it forward, it doesn't matter who it is. I is my best mate, but now he's my ma- or one of my best mates, but now he's the manager. You know, and if you have, again, you need to, it's how you manage the players. And that doesn't matter who you are. You know, if you manage the players properly and you're getting, you're putting on sessions that, you know, the, the players are seeing improvements and developments and results are there then it'll, it'll not matter. Um, I think in terms of managing the women's game, it's something if I felt was the right move for my career and um, I could make a difference, then it's something you would do. But, you know, when we did the thing last week, um, one of the questions I got asked was about part-time football. Would I consider, you know, managing and playing at part-time level? And again, I answered the question, you know, as honest as I could, I think, speaking to players that have made the transition to full-time that maybe have been there for 10, 15 years into part-time, it's difficult because, one, your whole training week changes. Um, you know, the, to a Tuesday and a Thursday, playing a Saturday. Um, and sometimes I think players go into it not really knowing just how difficult it's going to be. And I think 
know, for me, someone that's taken an interest in the women's game, you know, it's, it's, you know, you see the success that it's had over the last couple of years, and that's what's important this period that we're in lockdown and now. It's important that we don't um, forget just how much progression the women's game has actually made um, in the last couple of years, especially. And you know, people like Joel probably will say it, but they've been a massive part of that for what they've done in the Champions League with the women's uh, the club level, and more uh, most certainly with what they've done with the, the national team level. Um, but no, I think if you're you're going into um, any job, you know, whether it be men's or women's or, or academy, you've you've got to believe that you're going to make a difference. Um, and as a player, you know, whoever the manager is, um, you know, if there's a respect there. Um, and there's a, a confidence and a trust there that um, you are going to do it the right way and you are going to be professional and you are going to um, make a difference to the, the players' development and the club's going to move forward, then for me it doesn't matter who the manager um, or assistant manager or coach is. Um, I've just got one more question, um, and it's it's in reference to what you mentioned about part-time players or full-time players going to part-time um, one player that's made that transition is John Rankin, who you took over as uh, PFA chairman from. What's that been like um, as being PFA chairman during coronavirus? Yeah, well, again, you know, the, re- the how I got into it was Jack Ross was actually working. He was my captain at Falkirk. Um, and then when he retired, he was working with the PFA uh, and felt that, you know, I could be valuable in the management committee. So about six years ago now, I, I joined the management committee um, and Ranks was actually chairman. Um, and really enjoyed it and really enjoyed trying to make a difference for, for the players and you know when rank stepped down I was voted in um, so that's nearly two years I've been involved now and the last three months has probably been the most testing um, but really rewarding as well I think um, to be in a position along with the management committee that we can make a difference um, within the game we can make sure that players are looked after properly and that's I suppose my job to make sure that the players have got a voice um, you know, and especially over the last three months, um, you know, there's been a lot of phone calls, um, a lot of Zoom calls, and making sure that the, the players' contracts and um, the the mental wealth, uh, mental health and well-being um, is is getting looked after as well, because it has been a tough time for for everyone, and um, you know, especially footballers who are used to a, a changing room environment. Um, some will be living on their own the last three months, other ones will be like, I look at myself, I'm not used to being in the house with my three kids and my wife for 24 hours a day for um, the last three months, so it has been testing for everyone and I think it's some, the work that the PFA Scotland have done has been incredible in, uh, in terms of updating players, um, certainly you can see just how challenging and difficult it's been for governing bodies to, to um, work through it as well, so you know, we're having to deal with all 42 SPFL clubs. Um, you know, any decision that gets made or doesn't get made, you know, we could face two or three hundred phone calls off the back of that in terms of players wanting to know what's happening. Because some clubs have been great through the whole process, but other clubs have been um, rightly or wrongly. You know, they might not have the information to give the players, but they've not given them it. So um, it's been important that you know we've been there for them. Um, you know, I was in meetings right at the start, making sure that. Um, we had the right people in place legally to support the players because, um, as you've seen over the last few months, contracts have been a huge issue and what rights do players have. So, no, in, in terms of um, you know developing my skills and uh, and people skills and you know 
being in that environment, it's only going to help me again. If it goes into management and coaching, brilliant. But if it if it takes me down a different road, I think my experience of being PFA chairman is is certainly going to help me and um, and moving forward in that regard as well. Uh, Joel, just in in reference to that, obviously being captain, are you uh, sort of the point of contact within the the Hibs dressing room um, for any sort of updates, or does it sort of come from from management? Yeah, so I'm probably the, the go-to. Um, so we've got a board of directors, um, similar to, to obviously you guys and, and most clubs. So we've got a board of directors that will generally come to me first and ask me to then communicate and circulate around the, the players. Um, so, so yeah, although being captain, you've got that role on the pitch, there's so many other roles that, that come with that. And it's a, a role that, I thrive on and, and, and I love doing. Um, players come to me for advice and support and certainly don't mind that if, if I can help in some small way, um, whether it be communication from above or or, or, or anything really. Um, it's certainly a role that, that I thrive on and, and I've loved doing. Excellent. Well, thank you very much both for joining us. Genuinely, thank you, the pair of you. Uh, I'll catch up and I look forward to meeting you properly, Joel, one day. So. I know definitely and if there's anything else that I can do for for you for the club for the academy then don't hesitate to ask because like delighted that you guys have done what you're, you're you've done and continue to do what you do for for uh, the, the, the club and things down there I'll be in touch thank you very much Perfect. thank Later you see ya and thanks everyone for listening we'll be back next week with another episode of the Let BRC podcast in the meantime if you've enjoyed the episode today please tell your friends family and followers and we'll see you soon